0: Right religion is the topic of this particular sermon. Let me begin by giving you some preliminaries. When we think about the topic of right religion, number one, we need to define religion. I'm going to, for the purpose of this message, give a simple definition to religion as being outward expressions of our faith. Outward expressions of our inner faith Let's have that as our definition of religion. Number two, clearly there is right religion and there is wrong religion. Number three, God is the judge of when religion is right or when religion is wrong. He's the judge of that. Fourth, while on earth, Our Lord Jesus Christ himself judged a lot of the religion around him to be wrong for two reasons. Number one, it was wrong in Jesus' day because inner faith was in wrong things. The Samaritan woman comes to mind. Go with me to John four, please. John chapter four, Jesus judged some religion of his day to be wrong because some inner faith was in wrong things, such as this Samaritan woman at the well. And in John 4, 19 to 22, this is what we read. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Now watch this, you worship that which you do not know. That's faith in the wrong thing. We, the Jews, we worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. So in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, he judged some people's religion, outward manifestations of their faith as being wrong because their faith was wrong. But on the flip side of that coin, sometimes Jesus deemed religion of his day, outward expression of faith to be wrong because the inner faith was expressed in a wrong way. The Pharisees come to mind. If you flip with me to Matthew 23, Jesus had a lot to say to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. And in Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4, listen. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you Do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. Jesus said, they might tell you the right things to do to manifest your faith, but don't do what they do because they don't manifest their faith properly. How do they not manifest their faith properly? Let's go on. But do not do according to their deeds for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them so much as a finger. Jesus said religion that may be on the right God, when manifested in a way that you're a hypocrite, you can't say do as I do to express your faith, is false religion. It's not pleasing to God religion. God is the judge of any person's religion because there is no circumstantial evidence in the courtroom of heaven. No one has to testify to Jesus the judge as to what your expression of your inward faith, what your religion looked like on earth. God is the objective and authoritative judge of all of our religion. Wrong religion surrounded Jesus Christ in his earthly time of ministry on earth. Now let's go to the general epistle of James. We're working our way through this wonderful, practical, hard-hitting, uncomfortable book. Humanly speaking, written by Jesus Christ's half-brother, who did not come to faith in Jesus until after the resurrection. Amazing. James 1, 26 and 27 teach us about right religion. They teach us about inner faith in the right one that is expressed in the right way. If you wanna have a religion that God accepts as being right, then you are going to have to have an inner faith in Jesus Christ and his book, the Bible, and you're gonna have to express that faith in proper ways. And this passage will give us three proper ways that God expects us to express our faith in an outward manner as a religion. What we're going to see in this passage, these two verses, is three things. I'll overview them and then go back to unpacking them one at a time. First, we're going to see that right religion, religion is right, let's put it that way, religion is right when our tongues are not toxic. Religion, secondly, is right when our needy are not neglected. And third, religion is right when our inner persons are not infected by the world. And so God says in this passage, there's three parameters, three measuring sticks that will tell us whether or not our outward expression of our inward faith is acceptable to God, whether our religion is right in heaven's eyes, the only eyes that count. First, religion is right when our tongues are not toxic. That's convicting. Religion is right when our needy are not neglected. That's also convicting. And religion is right when our inner persons are not infected by the world. Now before we go any further into these verses, I just need to say this. These are only three measurements of right religion. They are a selective list and not an exhaustive list. These are not the only factors that makes religion right, but they are the three factors that James tells us about in these verses. You might look at right religion or right outward expression of inward faith as a piece of pie. What we're seeing in our verses for this morning is only three slices of the whole pie. They're important three slices, to be sure, but there are other slices in this pie that tell us what right religion is beyond these three things. Let me just quickly hit on some of the other slices of the right religion pie. Loving God with one's all, Matthew 22, verse 37. Loving others with one's all, Matthew 22, verse 39. Participating in believer's baptism, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Participating in the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. These are all other pieces of pie that make up what is right religion. Presenting one's body as a living sacrifice to one's Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Sharing the gospel with the lost domestically and in a foreign sense across cultural barriers. These are just some of the other pieces of the pie. So stick with me that the three slices of the right religion pie that we have before us are very important, but they're not the only slices of, of the right religion pie, all right? So now we can come to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, to see its very practical measurements of a religion which is right in the sight of God. Let's read the verses. James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The first measuring rod on religion to ascertain whether it is right or wrong religion is again, religion is right when our tongues are not later in this same epistle in chapter 3 James circles back to what he's teaching in chapter 1 about bridling the tongue and listen to what James says in chapter 3 verses 2 to 4 for we all stumble in many ways if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body as well Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Your tongue and my tongue are hard parts of the body to be tamed. Your tongue and my tongue needs to be bridled. Let me just give you a couple of thought provoking little ditties, little poems. I don't know the author of either. If your lips would be kept from slips, three things observe with care of whom you speak, and how you speak, and why and when and where. Oh, I see our research staff with the AV department. That's William Edward Norris, thank you. Second poem. If all that we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in clear black and white, it would make strange reading no doubt. And then, just suppose, ere our eyes would close, we should read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we cry and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? True religion that pleases God affects our speech and our tongues are not toxic. The poem goes on, and I more than half think many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half that we say in a single day were to be left forever unsaid. I was raised, and I didn't always obey, but I was raised with the adage, "If you cannot improve on silence, don't speak." The writer of Proverbs 10 verse 19 would agree with the minimization of words, because he wrote in Proverbs 10:19, "When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ warned in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, these words, Jesus' warning nonetheless. Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said, You have heard that the ancients were told You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that's Aramaic for idiot. Ever called anybody an idiot? What did Jesus think about that? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus was saying that with our mouth we can murder someone. We can slander them. We can hurt them. We can call them names that are unkind and sometimes untrue. Right religion in the sight of God. When that's the case, our tongues are not toxic. We move on to the second point in our passage about right religion. And the second point in the passage is this, religion is right when our needy are not neglected. I see that in verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In the second place in this sermon on right religion, religion is right when our needy are not neglected. Helplessness is what is the common denominator between orphans and widows. This verse is not identifying the only two categories of needy persons that we are to not neglect. They were two categories that were prevalent in New Testament times. And what they share in common back then as orphan or as a widow was both were helpless. The orphan was helpless and in distress because he or she didn't have any parents. We have people on New Providence in that situation. Widows back then were helpless and in distress because they don't have male husbands. And do you know what? New Providence is rife full with women whose husbands have abandoned them and the responsibilities to their wives and children. Shame on those men. We have too many men who live like their boys. Religion is right when our needy are not neglected. Orphans and widows are identified in this passage And both orphans and widows in their helplessness and in their distress are unable to pay back anyone who helps them. And that's precisely the point. That's why we ought not to neglect them. So when we practice right religion by helping and not neglecting the needy who are distressed, we know something about reflecting God's perfect and highest love called agape love. Agape love is God looking down on a planet full of sinners and discerning the greatest need we all have, which is estrangement from God due to sin. And God looks down from his perfections in heaven and loves us with agape love that he sacrificially gave to meet the need, the biggest need that we all had. And he gave us, the Father gave us his best. He gave us his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gave us his best, his son, knowing full well that in our helplessness and in our distress, we could not possibly pay him back. We could not possibly pay him back. So when we exhibit sacrificial love to a widow, to an orphan, to anyone who's helpless in our society and needy. When we do that, we are mirroring, we are uh, copying to our own degree God's love, discerning the greatest need in the one love, sacrificing to meet that need without concern for the cost or the payback. Right religion does not neglect the needy. And when you think about it, Jesus Christ's mission to step across the galaxies that he spoke into existence by the word of his mouth as the creator, when he came across those galaxies and constellations and planetary bodies to come to the dusty old tennis ball we call earth to live homeless, rejected by his own family, his blood family, rejected by his nation, and still still rejected by the majority of people on planet earth right now. He didn't regard the cost as being too much, and he didn't expect any repentant sinner to ever pay him back. When we help the needy and not neglect them, when we come to the person who's in distress and need and we help them, we try to meet their their needs sacrificially, we don't count it as the cost is too high, we don't expect them to pay us back, then we are practicing true religion and emulating the love of God. Jesus Christ's love for sinners wasn't theoretical. It wasn't an armchair kind of love. It wasn't a, a, a look on from a distance kind of love. It was kind of rolling up his sleeves so they could pierce his hands. That's how we don't neglect the needy. We just don't cut a check. We roll up our sleeves and we get dirty. Now, as I was thinking this through and praying this through, I just have to commend you as a congregation that you're doing much in Jesus' name not to neglect the needy. I am not gonna read an exhaustive list but just a selective list. Friends through love, Operation In much our food pantry, the care kitchen, food for our Awana children, on Tuesday nights, the No Child Hungry program of Delano Higgs and his wife Marcia, the Benevolence Fund, the Prison Ministry, the Faithful Men Who Make Repairs on Widows' Homes, the HIV AIDS Ministry. Then you've got a whole additional arm to not neglecting the needy of some of the things that I have learned that individuals have done anonymously to help the needy. Rent, electric bills, baby diapers and baby formula, prescription drugs, school fees, school uniforms, seminary expenses. By the way, persons last week quietly and anonymously gave $1,400 to Stephen Fu to help him with seminary. I know that some of you have paid funeral costs for families that could not afford to pay. Some of you provide private tutoring to students who can't read yet. Medical surgeries, food, bus fares, cooking gas. I believe that we have been not neglecting the needy, but what more would Jesus have us do? Coming soon, in the will of the Lord, a Hot breakfast being served between the 8 a.m. service and the beginning of Sunday school. I praise the Lord and I'm sanctified proud of you as a congregation. Right religion does not neglect the needy. So far we've seen in this passage that right religion means that our tongues are not toxic and our needy are not neglected. The third and final point in this paragraph about right religion, the third point is, religion is right when our inner persons are not infected by the world. Religion is right when our inner persons are not infected by the world. Verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and, and, to keep oneself unstained by the world. Keep oneself unstained by the world. And so you can note that we've moved with true religion, we moved from practicality, our mouths and not neglecting the needy, we have moved from practicality to purity. We have Move from practicality to purity. Now, I've taught you before, but it bears repeating that the world is not South and North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. That is not the world in Scripture. The world in the New Testament is a system, a worldview, a way of assessing life and prioritizing in life, that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out completely. That worldview is what we are to guard against become being stained by. You say, what does this look like, Pastor? Well, let me just give you some examples of the world system, the worldview that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. It impacts everything in our society. Let's go. Medicine, test tube babies, and cloning, economics, oppression, politics, graft, and corruption, and viewing born again Christians as terrorists. That's what people on Capitol Hill are preaching. That if you're a born again, Christian you are a terrorist more to be feared in the culture than radical Islam the arts ever been to a Broadway play in New York City most all of them mock God most all of them mock faith most all of them mock Jesus philosophy atheism and secular humanism the belief there is no God, and then the belief that man is God. These are aspects of a world system that can stain us, if we're not careful, a worldview that completely and cheerfully leaves Jesus out. What about sociology? The whole lie that beauty for a woman is only external in her body image. What about Vancouver, British Columbia, my country? Taxpayers fund clean needles for heroin addicts. Heroin addicts go to these clinics in Vancouver and they're provided with clean needles to shoot heroin. Sociology leaves Jesus out. What about ethics? Canada's just passed a law that Doctors can assist people to die. Euthanism. Mercy killing. Doctors having to ethically set aside the whole Hippocratic oath to do no harm to their patients, to kill them. What about abortion? Babies are killed after they've been born. Ethics totally leaves Jesus Christ out. What about marriage? Gay marriage? No, that's just the tip of the iceberg. What about incestuous marriage, where fathers are marrying their daughters, and mothers are marrying their sons, and what about that? What about morality? When you leave Jesus out of morality, you have pornography celebrated. You have pedophilia being okay. Somebody raped a four year old girl this week and said it was her fault in the US. What about origins? You leave Jesus Christ completely out of origins and you have evolution, which takes way more faith to believe in than the scriptural account. What about vices? You don't have any more vices if you don't have Jesus at the center of your valuation, gambling. It breaks my heart to see Bahamians outside Island Luck wasting money for their families. What about vices? Lying has been elevated to an art. Cheating is okay and racism. When you take Jesus Christ out of how you view someone of another color, skin, or race, then you are in a big trouble. When you start selling short and depreciating anyone who's not the same race as you, that is sin. I could go on. Let me circle back to sociology. And I'll just say it directly. There are women in this country who are immodestly dressed, Christian women. Ladies, when you come to this assembly, you should honor God by covering your body. You should not become a distraction to any brother in Christ because of your hem length or the scoop on your neck. That's what happens when you take Jesus Christ out of the standard of how a person dress. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2, tells us how to fix this, how not to be stained by a world view, how not to be stained by a world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out. I urge you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Watch it. And do not be conformed to this world. The world wants to conform you like a cookie cutter mold on rolled out dough. Bang, bang, bang. Bang. everybody looks the way the world wants you to look. Don't be conformed to this worldview that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Don't be conformed, what? Be transformed instead by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So religion that is right Does not have a tongue that is toxic. Religion that is right does not neglect the needy. And religion that is right does not have an inner person infected by the world. Big pie. The right religion pie. We've just seen three slices of it in our passage for today. Not having a toxic tongue. Not neglecting the needy and not becoming infected by the world. Let's pray. Lord, we would return to Sunday school and we would pray, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little eyes what you see. There's a father up above and he's looking down in love, so be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. There's a father up above and he's looking down in love, so be careful, little mouth, what you say. Cups of cold water. Helping the widows and orphans in their need. Healing the sick ones and binding the heart that bleeds. Feeding the hungry concerns the Lord above. By this we serve him and demonstrate his love. Cups of cold water given in Jesus' name. Cups of cold water are never given in vain. Someday in heaven, when we meet the Lord, each deed of kindness will bring a rich reward. The castle of my heart Love is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. Love is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart, for the king is in residence there. So let it fly. Let it fly. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world know. Let it fly. Let it fly. Let the whole world know that the king is in residence there. Amen. Amen.